السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يدلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum A warm welcome to each and every one of you And this is our fourth lesson With regards to our book Riyadu Salihin The Gardens of the Righteous A book based on various ahadith Which one can implement in our daily lives And we'll be Continuing with the ahadith with regards to the niyyah, with regards to our intention. And tonight, inshallah, bi idnillahi ta'ala, we will be starting with the third hadith. An Aisha radiyallahu anha qalat, qala al-nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, la hijrata ba'da al-fatih, walakin jihadun wa niyyatun, wa idhastun firtum. فَانْفِرُوا مُتَّفَكٌ عَلَيْهِ وَمَعْنَاهُ لَا هِجْرَةَ مِنْ مَكَّةَ لِأَنَّهَا صَارَتْ دَارَ إِسْلَامٌ Aisha radiyallahu anha, the mother of the believers, she narrated that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that there is no hijra, there is no immigration after the conquest of Makkah. There is no immigration after the conquest of Mecca, but only jihad, but only jihad, striving and fighting in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will continue and good intention. So if you are summoned to go out and fight, then go forth. And then Imam Nawawi rahimallahu ta'ala, he explains and he says that this hadith means that there is no hijrah, from Mecca. There is no hijrah from Mecca, as we will explain as the lesson goes on. And this hadith is found in Bukhari and Muslim. So this hadith, my beloved students, it contains the Prophet wasallam's nullifying the hijrah after the conquest of Mecca. So the conquest of Mecca was... That conquest where the Muslims took over Makkah And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in various places in the Quran The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He speaks about this as well in the prophetic traditions In the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam You will find various ahadith speaking about Fathul Makkah And one of the most important points that stands out with regards to Fathul Makkah is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when they entered into Makkah when they took over Makkah there was no violence and if one reads the seerah then you will find that the Quraysh, the Meccan people they were very severe against the Muslims. They were extremely harsh against Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his followers. They became so harsh that they had to leave Mecca. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam recording in some ahadith, he was extremely saddened that he had to leave Mecca. He said that Mecca, you are most beloved to me. But if it wasn't for my people that drove me out, I would have never have left you. So we can see the love that the Prophet ﷺ had for Makkah. And we see that the Quraysh, what harm they did to Rasulullah ﷺ and his followers. Look at the stories of Bilal radiallahu Look at the stories of some of the slaves. But yet we find that Rasulullah ﷺ, when he came back, when he took over Makkah, there was no violence. And this is a lesson for all of us. So the Prophet ﷺ, he says that there is no immigration. However, this annulment is not absolute, beloved students. That this is not absolute. Meaning that 
Hijra or immigration has not been abrogated by the Fathul Makkah, by the conquest of Makkah. In fact, immigration will not end until the repentance from sins ends and repentance will not end until the sun rises from its place of set. And this is found in the prophetic tradition of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So what is meant here by the annulment here is that Hijrah from Makkah as stated by Imam Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala under this hadith. So Imam Nawawi himself, he explains that what is meant by this hadith that there is no Hijrah from Makkah to another country. Because after the conquest of Makkah, Makkah has become the land of the believers. It has become the land of Islam. It is one of the Sha'ayir of Islam. How many millions flocks to Makkah year in and year out to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to proclaim the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we also find that we'll never subsequently return to be the land of disbelief. So this hadith teaches us that Makkah will never ever return back into the hands of those that do not follow Allah Azza wa Jal, those that do not believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this for this reason, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam annulled the immigration, he annulled the hijrah after the conquest of Makkah. So Makkah, my beloved brothers and sisters, as we know, used to be under the rule of the Mushrikun, under the rule of the polytheist. And they were expelled, or they expelled Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from it, and so he had to migrate with the permission of Allah azza wa jal to Medina. And after eight years, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he returned back to Makkah, victorious and he was assisted by Allah Azza wa Jal. From then on, Mecca was, which was previously the land of Kufr, it was the land of Shirk, became the land of belief. It became the land of Islam. And so there will be no immigration from the Muslim land, from the land of Mecca to another land thereafter. In here we find also evidence that Makkah will never return to be a land of disbelief. It will rather continue to be the land of Islam until the last day or until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he added or he says, but what will remain for the people of Makkah is jihad and intention. Meaning that is what will happen thereafter is jihad. So the people of Makkah who will only advance from Makkah, they will only leave from Makkah for jihad. And the intention refers to the right intention for jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is when the individual intends with his participating in jihad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words reign supreme. This is one of the main reasons of jihad and we will see this a bit later in our lesson as well. That we fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala become high. That the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes supreme. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentions and he says that when you are summoned to fight, then go forth. That is when your leader instructs you to march forth for jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You must set out by way of obligation. So when Allah commands you to go out and go fight, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commands you to go out and fight, then you need to go out and go fight. Under this circumstance, this jihad has become fard'ain. It has become an individual obligation. So... We get fard'ain and we get fard kifaya. Fard'ain meaning an individual obligation. For example, your salatul fajr. 
your five awqat, your fasting in the month of Ramadan, you're going on hajj, certain things within the Islamic framework has become or is known as fard'ain. It is an individual obligation. You must do it. If you follow the shuru, fulfill the shurut, you have to do it. As for fard kifaya, if some people establish this fard, then it is lifted. The obligation is lifted from the entire community. And a very simple example to use is that of burial, that of janaza. So someone passes away in the community. A group of the people of the community, they've decided to take on this janaza. So they shroud the person. They make salatul janaza on the person. They bury the person. So the obligation has been lifted from the community and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So when people are mobilized for jihad, then it is wajib, it is obligatory on them to set out. No individual should try to avoid this except those that Allah Azza wa Jal has excused based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in Surah Tawbah, O oh you who believe, Ya you alladina amanu. And we've said this often. Whenever you hear, Ya you alladina amanu. Whenever you hear, O oh you who believe, now our eyes need to open, our eyes need to start looking. Our ears need to start opening up. We need to start listening now. Because now we are going to see what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us as the believers. As we get, Ya you alladina Amanu, oh you who believe in this case. And you get, Ya Iyuhannas. Ya Iyuhannas speaks to the whole of mankind. But this verse specifically speaks to the believers. What is the matter with you? That when you are asked to go, to march forth in the cause of Allah, meaning to go fight in jihad, then you cling heavily on the earth. Are you pleased with the life of this world as compared rather than the year after? And this can be, Asked, this verse can be asked for all of us as well. Do we cling to this worldly life? Are we more pleased with the worldly life than the life of the year after? But then Allah carries on. But little is the enjoyment of this living of the world as compared to the year after. There is not much enjoyment in this dunya. So if you march not forth, then know that Allah will punish you a painful punishment and He will replace you with another people and you cannot harm Him at all. Meaning, we can, as human beings, we cannot harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way. So this is one of the circumstances in which jihad becomes an individual obligation. The second circumstance is that when the enemy of Islam. They surround a Muslim land. That is yani the enemy. They advanced reaching the city. And they besieged it. Jihad in this circumstance. Becomes an individual obligation. It becomes fard. Ain. And it becomes obligatory. Upon each and every individual. To fight including women. The able in the circumstances. Amongst the old. Since this jihad is that of a defensive jihad and there is no difference between the war of defense and the war of assault but in this circumstance it has become wajib Afwan, there is a difference between war of defense and war of assault right? there, there is a difference if someone attacks us as a Muslim country there are certain rules of engagement if we are going to go forward and attack, there are certain rules of engagement. But in the circumstance that we mentioned that we are being attacked, it is wajib to call the entire community, to call the entire people to arm themselves in order to defend the land. The third circumstance is when the rows are established and the two sides face one another. The lines of those that do not believe in Allah and the lines of the Muslim jihad in that circumstance only or also becomes an individual obligation and it is not allowed for anyone to leave as Allah Azza wa Jal 
He says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, again addressing the believers, Idha laqeetumulladheena kafaru zahfan fala tuwalluhumul adabar wa man yuwallihim yawma idhin duburahu illa mutaharrifa liqitalin aw mutahayyizan ila fi'atin faqad ba'a bighadabin min Allah wa ma'wahu jahannam wa bi'sal masir so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says that oh you who believe when you meet those who disbelieve in the battle never turn your back to them and whoever turns his back to them on such a day unless it be part of one strategy of war or retreat to these troops to retreat to his other members of the army then he indeed he has drawn upon himself the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his abode is in Jahannam and the worst indeed is that destination so here in Surah Al-Anfal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explaining to the believers that oh you who believe when you're on the battlefield and you are facing the enemies you do not turn your back against them you cannot turn your back against them and whoever turns their back against them is going to land up in Jahannam and what an evil place but then Allah says unless this is part of your strategy so you turn in your back is part you maybe want to hide behind a certain object you maybe want to climb a tree then this is different or you are retreating to go back to your fellow army members you are going back to the troops then this is allowed but if you just want to leave the battlefield, then know that this is not allowed and you will get the wrath of Allah and you will find Jahannam and what an evil destination. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith where he speaks about the seven destructive sins, then he, one of the sins he mentions is that of retreating from the battlefield and Allah knows best. The fourth circumstance, the fourth circumstance is if a particular individual is needed. Perhaps only that individual knows well how to use a specific weapon. And so the people need him to operate this new equipment. For example, it is then or it becomes specifically wajib, specifically obligatory on him to fight the jihad even if the ruler does not mobilize him and that is for the reason that he is needed so just to explain this point again there's jihad happening and there's a certain person he has a certain set of skills jihad becomes wajib upon him he needs to go to help the muslims and allah knows best so we find in these four circumstances, jihad has become an individual obligation, fard'in. But in other than these situations, it is fard kifaya, a collective or a communal obligation. The people of knowledge, the ulama, they have said that it is wajib, it is obligatory on the Muslims to engage in jihad at least once a year. They should fight the enemies of Allah, that the words of Allah should reign supreme and not for the purpose of defending the country just because it is a country for the reason that defending the country, <coughs> right? So here we need to pause a bit. What the author, what Sheikh Uthaymin is explaining, rahimahullah ta'ala, he's saying that the purpose of jihad is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name and the rule of Allah, this reigns supreme. And not the purpose of defending one's country. Because when one defends the country, you might find that there's believers and non-believers fighting together. And even the non-Muslims defend their country as we see in the world today. You find non-Muslim armies, they are defending their countries. But the Muslim, he defends the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See the difference. And so, he defends his country not just for being a country, for example. Again, so see his niyyah. His niyyah is that, yes, I'm going out to defend the borders. But, the mere fact or 
Besides that, on top of defending my borders, I am there to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's kalima. I'm here to make the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reign high. I'm here to make Islam prosper. And yes, defending my country, that is also a secondary issue. But my main issue, my objective is that Islam prospers and Allah knows best. So for this reason we find that it is incumbent upon us in the kind of circumstances that we live in today to admonish the generality of the people that calls towards national liberation and it's like of or are improper and that the people should rather mobilize towards the deen of Allah meaning that we should defend the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before anything else because our land is a land of the religion a land of Islam which deserves protection and defense so here the sheikh is explaining and the sheikh obviously he hailed from and he lived as one of the major scholars of the land of Saudi Arabia and towards the Sheikh and others this is a land of Islam this is a land of Tawheed so he's obviously explaining to his people he's explaining to the students of knowledge sitting in his gathering and for nations to come afterwards that this land that we are in referring to the land that they were in is a land of Islam it is the land of Tawheed so he's explaining that when this goes to the soldiers of the land to the army members of the land that when you go out and go defend the borders, then first, your first objective is that we are defending Islam. And then secondly, we are defending the borders as we mentioned earlier. The Sheikh carries on and he says, as for defending it with the intention of being a patriot or nationalism, then this can be done by someone that believes in Allah and it can be done with someone that does not believe in Allah. And it will not be of any advantage to the individual on the day of resurrection. They will be seen as the same, the believer and the non-believer. And if he were to be killed while defending his country with such an intention, then know that he is not a martyr. Because the messenger was asked about a man fighting out of passion or to show bravery or to establish his status. Which of these is in the cause of Allah? The Prophet peace be upon him. May Allah bless Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, whoever fights that the word of Allah reigns supreme, then that is in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us understanding of this hadith. It brings us to the next hadith. An Abi Abdillahi Jabir ibn Abdillahil Ansari radiyallahu anhuma kala kunna ma'an nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi ghaza faqal inna bil madinati لرجالا ما سرتم مسيرا ولا قطعتم واديا إلا كانوا معكم حسيهم المرد وفي رواية إلا شاركوكم في الأجر رواه مسلم ورواه البخاري أن أنس رضي الله عنه قال رجعنا من غزوة التبوك مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال إن أقواما خلفنا بالمدينة ما سلكنا ما سلكنا شعبا ولا واديا إلا هم معنا حبسهم العذر We find that the first hadith is narrated or found in the Sahih of Imam Muslim and the second wording is found in that of Imam Al-Bukhari. Jabir ibn Abdullah Al-Ansari, may Allah be pleased with both of them, he reported that we accompanied Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in an expedition. They were out on some type of war. When he said... That there are some men in Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ is explaining. There are some men in Medina who are with you wherever you march. And whichever valley you cross. 
They have not joined you in person because of the illness. In another version, he said, they share the reward with you. In the narration found in the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari from Anas ibn Malik, he said that when we were coming back from the battle of Tabuk with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there are people whom we left with, we left behind in Medina. So there were people speaking about the battle of Tabuk. When we came back from the battle of Tabuk with the Prophet, the Prophet peace be upon him, he explained to us, he remarked that there were people from whom we left be- behind in Medina who accompanied us in spirit in every pass and valley we crossed. They remain behind for a valid excuse. So the Sheikh immediately, Rahimallah Ta'ala, he explains and he says, with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where he says, Ghazatin, as is found in the Arabic text, it means, Fi Ghazwatin, during a campaign. A Ghazwa is a battle, a campaign, a military expedition. The hadith means that if an individual intends a good deed, but he was prevented by some factor that was beyond his means, meaning he could not help by not doing this action because of some factor that affected this. The reward of what he intended will be written down for him. And a perfect example for us this year with the whole coronavirus, the whole COVID-19, etc. is the journey of Hajj. The journey of Hajj. The journey of Hajj this year, as we know, out of millions that would go and stand on the plains of Arafah, they would go on the five, six days, ten days of Hajj. There were only a few thousand people that were allowed to go for Hajj this year. But those people save money. Those people had the intention that we want to go for Hajj. They fall under this hadith that bi'idhnillahi ta'ala they will still get that reward of having intended to go. They had that intention to go. They saved their money. They were ready. They were accepted. But for a reason that no one could prevent. They were not allowed to go. So bi'idhnillahi ta'ala they will be rewarded for this. Author carries on, rahimahullah ta'ala, and he says, But if he used to do it in the circumstances wherein he had not any excuse, so he would do something, for example, he makes two raka'ats every day. He fasts on a Monday and Thursday. Whatever good he does, he recites Quran, etc., etc., so this means that when the author says when he was able, he would do this every time. And later on in life, he is unable to, for whatever reason, maybe it's old age, maybe it's sick. He will still or she will still get the full rewards of the deed and it will be written down for them. Because the Prophet wasallam said, when the servant of Allah is sick or on a journey, the like of what he used to do while being at home and in sound health will be written down for him. Subhanallah. Let's repeat this hadith. When the servant of Allah, when the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sick or on a journey, the like of what he used to do while being at home and in sound health will be written down for him. Subhanallah. Hence, the individual desires of good, seeking for it, if he was someone or she was someone to, that was used to performing this action, but became prevented from doing it by a constraint, then the reward will be written for him completely. And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, this is something amazing. This shows us the love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for the slave. This shows us 
the rahmah and the mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for us as slaves. And the example that I would like to bring forth, an example and I'm witnessing this, I'm seeing this. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted me the opportunity to live in a very close proximity with my two grandmothers. My grandmother from my father's side, my grandmother from my mother's side. One being close to 90 and the other one being over 90. And they obviously, they've reached this age where they become weak. They've reached this age where they don't have energy to do the ibadah that they used to do when they were young. And it is a hadith like this that brings hope to families. It brings hope to the ummah. That when you are young, when you are strong, when you have the ability to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let us try and increase our worship. Let us not just stick to that which is fard. Let us go a step further. Because when you reach old age and you were someone that would recite one juz, two juz, three, four, five ajaz of the Quran daily, I know of an old lady, not an alima, not a hafila. But every single day this lady would recite three ajaza. Every single day. And she reached old age. It was in the late 80s. She still tried but certain days she wouldn't be able to. Again, a hadith like this explained to the family. That bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will write this down as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He does not speak out of his own accord. وَمَا يَنْتِكُ عَنِ الْهَوَى as Allah says in Surah Al-Najm. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحِنْ يُحَى So, try and do something. Try and make some form of ibadah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even if you reach old age, even if you are sick, even if you are on journey, they will still write it that you are to win this acts of worship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. And then the author says, for example, a person who would regularly observe the prayer in congregation in the masjid, but he was held back by a constraint such as sleep or some illness or the like. The complete reward of the one who prays in the congregation or with congregation will be written down for him without any reduction. Again, let us look at the situation that we're in. COVID-19, coronavirus, the masajid were closed. Salatul Jama'ah was not there at a certain time. But you find that uncle, you find that brother, they are constantly in the masjid five times a day. They base their whole day around the salahs. Assalamu alaikum brother. Where can we meet you? No, we meet after Maghrib. We meet before Asr. We meet just after Dhuhr. This is the life of a believer. Everything revolves around salah. Everything revolves around the masjid. But many of us in today's time, we the opposite. We want to see where we can fit salah in. Okay, I might have time here, let me just quickly make salah. We might have time here, let us go to this masjid. No. When going on a journey, should be planned. Where are we going to stop? Where are we going to make dhuhr salah? Where are we going to make asr salah? Yes, al-ardu musalla, we know that. But that needs to be in the back of the mind as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Similarly, if a person consistently observes the voluntary salahs, 
Again, but he was unable to do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will write this for them. And there's many examples like this. Many, many examples. But if, the author says, but if a person is not, or it is not his practice to do it, only the reward the intent of his intention at that time will be written down, and he will, or to be excluded, the reward of the deed. Meaning, I have an intention to fast on a Monday, Sunnah fast. So you, I will have the intention, get the reward for the intention, but. As for the reward of the deed, it won't be there if I did not do it. And let us look at the evidence for this. The evidence for this is that the poor companions, or the poor among the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, they said to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, the wealthy, they have surpassed us with high ranks and everlasting bounties. Meaning the rich people amongst us, they have outmatched us by giving charity and freeing slaves. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, should I not inform you of a thing through which you will catch up to those who have surpassed you and no one will attain your position except the one who does the like of what you have done. So let us look at the start of this hadith. The companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they come to Muhammad, peace be upon him. And they explain to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, we are a community, we have a society, we are the Sahaba. And there are some of our companions, some of our brothers that are richer than us. They have more wealth than us. And because of this wealth, they've reached higher ranks and everlasting bounties. For example, they are those that they give a lot of sadaqah. They give a lot of charity. And they are those that they free the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet then, peace be upon him, he says, Shall I explain something to you? That if you do these actions, you will catch up to them. And the companions obviously being those that would always hasten to good, they said, please explain to us, O Messenger of Allah. So he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, say Subhanallah, glory be to Allah. Say Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest. Say Alhamdulillah, all praise and thanks is due to Allah. 33 times after every obligatory prayer, so they would do this. Then he said, then the rich got away of that and they took this too. Thereupon the poor came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said, O Messenger of Allah, our brothers that are wealthy, the wealthy ones, they heard of what we are doing, so they did this as well. The Prophet peace be upon him then said, that is the favor of Allah. He gives it to, to whomsoever he wills. He gives it to whomsoever he wishes. And Allah is the possessor of tremendous bounty. He did not say to them that you have reached the reward of their deeds. But undoubtedly they will have the reward for their intentions. So intention is important. Our niyyah. And always have a good niyyah. Always intend to do something. If you do not do it, Allah still rewards you maybe. Or rewards you for the intention but not for the deed. And this should also be an encouragement for us. That after every salah, we should be making our adhkar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah and Allahu Akbar 33 times each. So for this reason, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said about the one or about, yes, the one that Allah has blessed with wealth, who spends it on good causes, such as the poor man would say, if I were to have the like of the wealth of fulan, of so and so, I would certainly do the 
like the likes of his deeds with it. The Prophet peace be upon him said regarding his intention the reward is equal that is equal in terms of intention. As for the deed its reward will not be written for him except if he was amongst those who regularly did that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. This hadith also points us points to the fact that whoever goes out on the path of Allah, they go out in the path of Allah, in the battle and jihad in the cause of Allah, he will have reward them for his walking. Hence, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he informed us and he said, you do not advance in any direction, nor traverse any valley or a mountain pass, except that they are with you. Similar to this, if an individual perfectly makes the ablution in his house. So someone he makes wudu in the house and he goes out to the masjid and nothing made him go out except the salah. He would not take any step except that Allah raises him a level therewith. So each and every step is a level raised and Allah purifies him of sin. This is from the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most high, the most magnificent. And this is the means of deeds that has such tremendous benefits as explained by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Before we move on to our last hadith for the night, the last hadith for the level, listen tonight. I would like us to pause for a moment and ponder on the hadith that we just did. And there's two things I would like to highlight. Number one, intention as we see is extremely important. And I mentioned, I just want to elaborate on this again, that the Prophet ﷺ in one or two a hadith, he would appeal to the youth appeal to people that have good health and has at a young age try to exert yourself in the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because there's going to come a time if you have long life etc that you won't be able to fulfill this so try to fulfill this at a young age do extra ibadah recite Quran make adhkar help the community build masajid Study the deen of Allah, attend haraqat. So that when you're older, and you when you did this for the sake of Allah when you were young, that when you're older, it becomes still a continuous reward for you and your families. The second point that I would like to look at with regards to this hadith is the long hadith that I quoted about giving charity. And many people, they feel that I do not earn that much money. I cannot give a lot in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whenever I teach or give khutbah or speak to brothers about this, I would always highlight this, that one of my teachers at the Islamic University would always say that sometimes the ten Real or the one real that a poor person gave in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it might be equivalent to if not more to that person that gave a million dinars or a million reals a million rand he built the masjid by himself so never underestimate your sadaqah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi explained to us. Never underestimate your sadaqah. Even if it is just a date pit. The Prophet, and the hadith that I would like to end. Hadith number four with. Is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That smiling. Smiling at your brother. Is a sadaqah. So I don't have money. 
I don't have any tin food in my car to give. I don't have any fruit. I don't have anything to give. But we can smile. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that continuously give sadaqah so it can be a benefit and an expiation of our sins. The next hadith, and this is the hadith number five, our final hadith for tonight's lesson. An Abi Yazid. Ma'ni bani Yazid banil Akhnas. Radiyallahu anhum wa huwa abuhu wa jadduhu sahabiyyun. Kala. Kana Abi Yazid akhraja dananira yatasaddaqu biha. فوضعها عند رجل في المسجد فجئت فأخذتها فأتيته بها فقال والله ما إياك أردت فخصمته إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال لك ما نويت يا يزيد ولك ما أخذت يا معن Rawahul Bukhari Ma'an Ibn Yazid Ibn Akhnas May Allah be pleased with him So Ma'an Yazid And his grandfather Akhnas They were all companions of Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wasallam So the son narrates from his father Who narrates from His father so Ma'an is narrate, right? We see that he is a Sahabi, his father is a Sahabi, and his grandfather is a companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the son, Yani, and the grandson, Ma'an is reporting this hadith. So he says that my father, meaning Yazid, he set aside some dinars for charity and gave them to a man in the masjid. I went to that man and I took back those dinars. So this man said, I had not intended you to be given any of this. So I went to Rasulullah or we went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we put forth the matter before him. And he said to my father Yazid, you have been rewarded for what you intended. Explain this as we go on. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said to me that man, you are entitled to that which you have taken. So this hadith, which the author himself narrates. Right? So man, he narrates this hadith himself. And this hadith shows us a few lessons which we will cover bi iznillahi ta'ala. So just to Explain it again quickly that Ma'an ibn Yazid and his father, may Allah be pleased with him, gave some money out or gave some of the dirhams to a man in the masjid to give out as charity. So Yazid came, he came to just say Fulan and he told Fulan, Look, here's a certain amount of money, you need to distribute it to the poor. Then Ma'an comes. And he comes and he takes from the money. Which the man was entrusted to give out. And the man did not know that maybe man is Yazid's son. It could also be that he gave him some because he thought that man was entitled to getting money which was a form of sadaqah. The story then reached Yazid. Who then said to his son, I have not intended to give you from this money. And I did not intend to give these dirhams to you as a handout. So now he's explaining to his son that you are not supposed to be taking from this money. So they went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells Yazid that you will be rewarded for that which you intended. Oh Yazid, you intended to give this to the poor? Even though the poor did not get it, you will still get the reward. And he says to Yazid's son, 
Ibn Yazid, he says to him that you are still entitled to that which you have taken from that money. So here we find that the Prophet Sallallahu statement that you to Yazid, you will have the reward for that which you intended. It points out to the fact that actions are reward, rewarded according to our niyyah. And that when a person intends good, he will get it. Even though Yazid did not intend that his son takes the dirhams, but he did take it since he was amongst those eligible for it. And they became his. So for this reason, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says to Ibn Yazid that you are entitled to that which you have taken, Omar. This hadith also has evidence for the heading under which the author placed this hadith. The heading of intentions. That actions are rewarded according to that which you intend. And the reward will be written down for the individual for what he had intended, even if something he had not intended happened in the end. The principle has numerous applications amongst them. The ulama of this ummah, may Allah shower them with blessings. They mentioned that if a man gave his zakah to an individual, thinking that this person was eligible for zakah, but later it becomes clear that it was a rich man. It was someone that did not need zakah, was not eligible for zakah. The zakah suffices and you will be accepted. So this man, he is free from blame. Why? Because his intention was to give someone zakah money and he thought apparently to this person, this was a poor person, he was eligible for zakah. And so he gave him. Later on, maybe a few months afterwards, whatever, he realized that this man was not eligible for zakah. He is not blameworthy anymore. So the zakah has been lifted from him and he has fulfilled his obligation of paying zakah and Allah knows best. Another example. A person, he would like to gift a small house, for example. So you'd like to give a small house. And he says that I give so and so this house. Right? So his intention is that I would want to give someone a small house. But while speaking to the person he's pointing. But he's pointing to a big house. And this pointing is obviously contrary to that which was in his heart. So what happens? If this goes to a court, to a Muslim judge, etc. It will be ruled according to that which he intended and not which that which he uttered verbally and Allah who subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So this hadith it contains many lessons and extensive applications under various sections of fiqh. And this, my beloved brothers, and sisters in Islam, students of knowledge, this is also known as fiqhul hadith. Where the hadith comes, and we derive fiqh lessons from this. And Shaykh Uthaymeen, rahimahullahu ta'ala, was a master in this. Was of those scholars, like the scholars of the past, where they would extract, extract information, and masail fiqhiyah, from simple ahadith, a hadith that we maybe look at and we read, oh mashallah, it's a hadith about sadaqah. It is said that there's a hadith. Ya Aba Umair ma fa'alan nughair. A very simple hadith. And some background of this hadith is that this young companion of Rasulullah sallallahu his bird died. Prophet Sallallahu heard about this, he came to him and he said, Ya Aba Umair, O father of Umair, ma fa'ala nughair? What's happened to nughair, to your small bird? And it is reported, it is said that Imam al-Shafi'i, Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, he took out 70 benefits, or if not more than 70, from that simple hadith. 
Oh, father of Umair. What has happened to Nugayr? A simple hadith. And this shows you the insight and the knowledge of the ulama. So like we mentioned, this hadith has many lessons and extensive applications. And one of them is, it is permissible for a person to give charity to his son. It is permissible for a person to give sadaqah to his son. The evidence for this is that the Prophet ﷺ commanded that charity be given. And he encouraged this. So Zainab, the wife of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, wanted to give a portion of her wealth in charity. And her husband said to her, Your child and I are more deserving than that you give charity to. Because he was poor. May Allah be pleased with him. She said no. Until I asked the Prophet ﷺ, I won't do this. She asked the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he said, Ibn Mas'ud has said the truth. Your husband and your child are more deserving of those you may give your charity to. So there's a family member. And you want to give some sadaqah? And they are struggling, they're extremely poor. You're allowed to give them of your sadaqah. Another point of benefit in this hadith is that it is permissible for a person to give his child out of his zakah with a condition that such does not constitute halting other obligations on him. Meaning that, for example, that the father needs to nafaqah. So this giving zakah does not mean that he's not going to nafaqah him anymore. And the author brings the example on the next page and he says that if a person has zakah which he wants to give out in charity to his son so that he will not ask him for his needs such is not valid because he has intended therewith to halt something obligatory on him. So he cannot give the son of his zakah money and thinking okay now I don't have to nafaqah him. No. You still need to nafaqah him. However, if he gives him the zakah so that he could settle a debt, so the son has debt, the father has zakah, and he says that, yes, you have 50,000 rand in debt, 50,000 dollars in debt. And my zakah, for example, for this year is 100,000 dollars, 200,000 dollars that I need to pay. So I'm giving you 50,000 dollars to pay your debt so that you might not be arrested, whatever it might be, then this is acceptable for his father to give him. Right? Because as the author says, there is no blame on him. That is a valid zakah since this child is the closest person to him and he had not intended to hold something basically obligatory on him. He only intended quittance of his child's burden. Not a basic Nafaka, not basic maintenance. And this was his intention, then his zakah would be valid, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us success. This brings us to the end of hadith number five. Bi ta'ala, next week we will continue with various ahadith. And through these ahadith, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from us هذا وصلوا وسلموا على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our shortcomings we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive our sins and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that can enter Jannah بغير حساب صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أستغفرك وأتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستوتس The reward of walking Hence Muhammad صلى الله Not know that maybe man is Yazid son
escape. 